Welcome to This Week in Church History. We're grateful you joined us for a wide-ranging conversation about events in the history of the church. Here are our hosts, Dr. Michael McMullen and John Mark Yates. I am disturbed when I see the majority of so-called Christians having such little understanding of the real nature of the faith they profess. Faith is a subject of such importance that we should not ignore it because of the distractions or the hectic pace of our lives. This quote from William Wilberforce, who was born on the 24th of August, 1759, died on the 29th of July in 1833. We are joined, of course, like every time uh, and this week in church history with my co-host, Michael McMullen, who is a specialist in William Wilberforce, his life and his legacy. And so we are going to dive in to this incredible man who had unbelievable impact, and really on a global scale, uh, serving as uh, not only just a believer, but in the realm of politics and bringing those two worlds together. So uh, Dr. McMullen, I am so thankful that we can talk about your love. Uh, also, this is an opportunity for us to talk about your project that you've been working on in sabbatical, which we've had updates about, um, but it's going to press. So what did you work on that all of our listeners should order and purchase? Yeah, I mean, 13 years ago, I began an adventure uh, with Wilberforce that I could never have imagined what it would turn into. Um, it, it, it was an honor and a privilege because I'm from his hometown of Hull. Um, and, and so to be able to uh, work on his original manuscripts, his spiritual journals, was an incredible opportunity. Um, and, and so transcribing them, trying to learn his hand, um, uh, preparing them for publication, uh, you know, giving uh, annotations and helpful insights and, and background and context so people can understand, you know, the people he met, the books he read, places he went to, and 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 to put all his journals into that kind of understanding has has taken so long. Um, as you say, it will be published in September on the tenth uh, by Christian Heritage. It's it's there for pre-order on Amazon to bolster my retirement account. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it's just there to give us um, a, a glimpse of this man's personal walk with God. He never intended what he wrote to ever be read by anyone outside his family, never mind to be published. And, and so uh, we see an honest record of Wilberforce's uh, walk with God, his pilgrimage, his prayer life, his reading of scripture, and his uh, self-criticism, his doubts about achieving what God had called him to be and to do, and, and how often he felt that uh, he'd failed in, in, in even being a Christian and living for Christ. It, it's now, you said even before we went on to record uh, that Wilberforce intended for these journals to be burned after he passed away because he, he did not want anyone to really see these. And yet uh, you've taken your hand at transcribing them for us. Um, 
we were joking that uh, when you get to see Wilberforce in heaven, he might have some sharp words for you. Well, I mean, Wilberforce was like many other people who kept a journal. Um, it, It was, it's been described as, you know, the evangelical equivalent of uh, a, a medieval confession, a mm. confessional. So it, it's a record of his, you know, relationship with Christ, uh, his prayer life, his, his devotional life, and and so a very personal thing. Um, he gave instructions that his wife Barbara could read. Uh, he writes on the cover of one of the volumes uh, only for my dearest bees perusal. But he gave these very strict instructions that on his death they were to be burned. Wesley gave similar instructions. So did Jonathan Edwards. And thankfully, um, (laughs) that didn't happen on a a number of occasions. You spent 13 years transcribing these. Um, Why was it so hard, arduous, and long for you to take someone who speaks English and transcribing it into some way for us to be able to read. What what was the challenge well, there? The the challenge is that we all have lives as well, and we have jobs and we have other responsibilities, and and so we we juggle everything that we do, and and the Wilberforce project became part of that. Um, but um, his handwriting is very interesting. Let's say um, he had you know, several illnesses and diseases which made him very unwell. Uh, he took laudanum, which was uh, opiate, and and they really didn't know what the dosage was. Now, he recognized that if he took laudanum regularly and, and in fairly large amounts that would help with the pain because he had probably ulcerative colitis, a curvature of the spine uh, and other things, then he wasn't able to think straight, straight, and it certainly affected his handwriting. So I can tell very easily when he's in the grip of very strong painkillers because it has affected his handwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of the wealthiest men in Britain, and yet you would never know by the closeness of his writing on paper. Um, it's it's as if he couldn't afford uh, paper on which to write, and and yet it was exactly the opposite. But again, I mean, these were notes for himself. Uh, these were notes for him to uh, reflect on, to think about, to pray about, not for others to read. Right, and so that just makes it that much more interesting on one hand, but then on another. It makes it that much harder to read as you're you're kind of walking through. Now, uh, we're we're five minutes or so into our conversation here, and some of our listeners may not really be familiar with who Wilberforce is and why he matters. Why would we even care about his spiritual journals? Uh, why why should we even think or uh, conceptualize uh, that we would want to study him, except that he came from Hull? Um, why why would we want to know about Wilberforce? Yeah, I mean, he's he's a wealthy young man. He's inherited uh, from his father and his grandfather. Um, he's set for life. 
Uh, he goes to Cambridge. He's a terrible student. Not that he's not clever, but he doesn't apply himself. He really doesn't need to. Um, he has an interest in his future, what he will do. Uh, he meets William Pitt the Younger. Um, they agree together that a good future could be politics. Um, but on a tour of Europe, a grand tour, he is amazingly converted evangelically. Um, and that changes everything. Uh, he knows John Newton. He met John Newton as a child. Uh, he may have heard George Whitfield preach. Um, he reacquaints himself with John Newton. He shares about his conversion. And he's already in Parliament. He's a member of the government. Mm -hmm. uh, Christians and government don't go together in the late 18th century. So he's not sure about what his future now is. Uh, he, may, he thinks he may even be called to go into the ministry. And so he shares this with Newton. And Newton says that, you know, God has raised you up for such a time as this. Right. And, and there is John Newton, you know, the converted slave ship trader. And, you know, after a while, Wilberforce is given this vision by God, two great objects to pursue in his life. One is the abolition of the slave trade uh, in, in the British Empire. And the other um, is to impact society for the gospel. And, and he will spend the rest of his life seeking to fulfill those two great objects. And as a person who is working within a uh, British political system, uh, he's very effective uh, at, at what he does. He's dealing with the items that we might all think about in terms of politics and, uh, and, and pieces, but he's most famously connected with the abolition of the slave trade uh, within uh, Britain. How did he get involved with that particular cause? Uh, it, it was not popular to advocate for the abolition of slavery, primarily because of the financial impact that, uh, that, in, that individuals had acknowledged uh, existed within uh, the perpetuation of this horrendous uh, thing, but uh, they were afraid what would happen if if we undo this, we lose all this revenue, we do these other things. How does Wilberforce come in and begin to uh, uh, use his Christian identity to set the stage for uh, him to push for the abolition of, of the slave trade? Yeah, the, the whole of the British economy was built on slavery. Uh, the profits that would come um, it is what undergirded everything that was taking place in Britain and throughout her incredible empire. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it looked like treason to suggest that that system should end, that it was immoral, that it was a, a, a slight and a stain on Britain, and that God would bring judgment. And... and you know, Wilberforce was um, brought to a dinner party, several guests, um, you know, brought to him this idea that he could be the leader of this campaign in Parliament. Um, and, and, you know, 
Wilberforce was well aware of what that would mean and, and what that would involve. Um, and and it, it, an incredible orator that he was, um, you would need a, a miracle for that to take place because so many in Parliament uh, had a, a vested interest in the retention of slavery. And so all the opposition that Wilberforce would face, uh, all the... Um, move of parliament and the country against him um, would be incredible. Uh, John Wesley, who was a contemporary, just six days before his death, wrote his last letter to Wilberforce saying that if God hadn't raised him up for the ta- this task, then he would fail. Mm. But, but bless be God, you know, you will be as Athanasius contramundum, that you will be as Athanasius against the world. And and so, you know, we talk about Wilberforce and abolition, but of course, it, it wasn't one man who brought about abolition. It, it, he is a link in a chain. God raised up so many men and women, the Clapham sect and, yes. and many others, uh, Quakers and even non-Christians, to work against this great immorality. And, and Wilberforce will spend so much of his time working for abolition, seeing defeat after defeat, but at the same time, he's also working on this second great object of impacting society you know, with, with Christian ideas and, and outlooks to try and change the way that Brits were thinking about how they live. And you talk about this, uh, and I think sometimes we think of um, things happening rather quickly or instantaneously. How long does Wilberforce work towards the, the prospect of abolition? Yeah, he, he introduces um, you know, a, a, a bill for abolition in the 1780s. Uh, he will not see... Um, a vote for any kind of abolition, a successful vote till 1807. Um, so he's working for more than 20 years and seeing defeat after defeat. And of course, it, it looks like it will never be successful. And, and in a natural realm, it really should never have been. But it really shows how much God was at work in and through these individuals, um, bringing about change, uh, bringing about people in positions where things can happen and votes can take place. It's uh, it's so fascinating his tenacity and his perseverance. Uh, once convinced of this uh, as an evil, uh, according to scripture, according to Christian virtues and uh, values and he just holds on doggedly. Uh, that that idea of it taking twenty some odd years to even accomplish the task that he set out to do, uh, amongst all the many other things that he was involved in and engaged in, that uh, along with the people who were with him, the Clapham sect, Hannah Moore, some of the others, it's it's so uh, I think instructive uh, for many. And, and I talk about this in my church history classes frequently, where where you see that. Uh, oftentimes we may dis- get discouraged when something doesn't happen over a short amount of time. This was a incredibly elongated process to see it to fruition. Yeah, he was well aware from the beginning 
um, that, you know, un- unless God brought it about, it wouldn't happen. Um, you know, he, in, in one of his speeches, he said, you know, when I consider the magnitude of the subject and when I think at the same time on, on the weakness of the advocate who has undertaken this great cause, um, when these reflections press upon my mind, it's impossible for me not to feel both terrified and concerned at my own inadequacy to such a task. As soon as ever I had arrived this far in my investigation, I confess so enormous, so dreadful did its wickedness appear that my own mind was completely made up for abolition. Mm. Let the consequences be what they would. I from this time determined that I would never rest till I had effected its abolition. It, it's go- this call is going to cost him his life, yeah. his health. Um, and, and I mean, it, it's an incredible cause that he gave his life for, but it, that's really what it did cost him. We talk about missionaries going to the mission field and, and they would pack their belongings in, in a coffin and take it with them. You know, William Carey doesn't see a conversion for seven years. Yet we're talking about the long haul with God mm-hmm. and, and what he calls us to. Just because he calls us to do something, um, it's not a McDonald's call. You know, we're there <laughs> with God to see him um, you know, fulfill his promise in his time and in his way. And it's uh, my intersection with Wilberforce in my studies uh, when I was writing on um, uh, the rise of British missions to the Jewish community. Wilberforce is right there with all of evangelicalism uh, dealing with what they saw as a major issue uh, in their own country, a people group that weren't exposed to true Christianity. And he he would preach for uh, the conversion of Jews. He would also, though, seek to enact laws that protected them should they choose not to convert and also to make sure that their livelihoods were protected because there were some some loose laws. It, 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 the more that I begin to study how he uh, in, tried to work for prison reform, debtor's prison particularly, how he worked for... Um, uh, different classes of working uh, adults, making sure that they had um, better uh, living environments or better pay. Um, <laughs> I love that uh, he was one of the first uh, to found a society for the prevention of cruelty to animals. Yeah, he loved animals. He loved <laughs> God's creation. He couldn't stand mistreatment. So you know, bear baiting and cockfighting and, and everything else that took place. Um, yeah, the RSPCA. Uh, he f- he founds the, the Lifeboat Institution for fishermen and sailors uh, who are drowning at sea, which still operates today. Uh, still, it, it's a voluntary organization as it was established. Uh, he creates schools for the poor, which are still running today. Mm-hmm. Uh, a school for the blind in York. Um, he is working for uh, chimney sweeps, children working in factories and, and mines. Um, yeah, he, he wants penal reform. You can uh, receive the death penalty for stealing uh, a loaf of bread or an apple. Uh, dozens of crimes bring the death penalty. 
So he wants all of that reformed, more humane, a justice system that works for everyone. Uh, He's working with Jeremy Bentham on the design of prisons. It's incredible the amount of societies and causes that he's working. We remember him mainly for abolition, but uh, how on earth he's involved an active uh, chairman and co-chairman and treasurer in so many different evangelical ventures. It really is incredible what he does. Uh, He's there meeting with Andrew Fuller and, and William Carey. He's the one who tells William Carey not to go on a British ship to India because it's basically an East India Company ship and they'll know that he's going as an illegal immigrant to preach uh, to the Indians. So don't go on one of those ships, go on a Danish ship. And and so he does. Uh, He's working behind the scenes to have chaplains sent to uh, India and elsewhere with the East India Company, working for Henry Martin Mm -hmm. to go out as an evangelical. Uh, He's there uh, appointing preachers for the home mission field in England, trying to intervene with bishops who don't want uh, preachers in their parishes and areas and bishoprics, trying to make it possible uh, for that to happen in England. He he pays for uh, people who are called into the ministry but can't afford uh, the, the training that's involved. He provides a pension for the widow of Charles Wesley. On and on it goes. It's it's unbelievable how faithful he was to uh, to living out his Christianity. Now, uh, again, we earlier stated, uh, and, and you you also uh, helped point us to the fact that you do have a book coming out that that takes his journals and outlines uh, where we can really see his. His walk with Christ uh, on full display. Yeah, he's the first to admit he's not perfect. He's the first to admit that he shouldn't be the example that people follow. And in all my work on Wilberforce, which now is extending to all his diaries uh, with professors in Britain, um, he is the first to acknowledge that it's Christ we follow, that you know, he's not, to, you know, Wilberforce is not to be put on a pedestal. He, he's there as an, an example for us and, and somebody that we can learn from. But all the while, he's pointing to Christ. And, and more than anybody else, he's well aware of all his failings and, and all his downfalls and, and the things he doesn't get right. So if you were to say um, for our listeners, uh, these are the top three things that you uh, were deeply impacted by in reading uh, Wilberforce's journals, what would they be? Um, He's incredibly humble. Um, In in all that God uses him to do, in in all that he achieves um, on the outside looking in, Really, you have a very humble individual who's totally dependent on God um, for everything. And, and you know, he really, he, he's worried that God won't achieve what he's called him to do because he keeps failing. Mm. And, and so, he, you know, constantly talks about his dependency on Christ. And for me, that's an incredible thing uh, because he's not a superhero. 
he's a he's a man that God has uh, raised up, uh, intervened in the life of a, a, play, a wealthy playboy who suddenly becomes this evangelical uh, promoter uh, of mission and abolition, mm. um, but all the glory goes to God. You know, so that that to me is an incredible thing. Uh, he loves scripture. Uh, he memorizes as much as he can. Uh, he memorizes Psalm uh, 119. Uh-huh. Uh, he will recite that as he walks. Um, his his diaries and journals are filled with um, his use of Scripture, both implicit and explicit. He loves the Bible. And, and for me, too, that, that's a really important thing about Wilberforce that you know, he was totally grounded uh, in who God was and, and what he'd revealed about himself. And uh, the third thing, I, I think, is, you know, in all that Wilberforce did, uh, he's an incredible family man. Um, uh, he loves his wife. He loves his children. He sets time aside for them. He prays for them. Uh, he writes letters to his children. Uh, he's got this very childlike manner. He plays games with them. People comment about how he plays blind man's buff and all kinds of of TIG games with them at the house and uh, that they're really shocked that supposedly this great man and and great abolitionist and member of parliament suddenly is one of the children and they accept him as such. But, But that's who he was. He, he loved people, he loved Christ, and, and he had this great sense of humor, and there was no keeping it in. It infected everybody, and, and he was very evangelistic. It's really hard to talk about three things, but you know, he's very evangelistic in all he does. He creates you know, openings to try and share the gospel with people. I cannot wait for your volume to come out, and uh, I really will be interested to see how many of our listeners and others will walk away saying that this really is a, a man who uh, deeply impacted my life as I look at his own struggles, uh, many which were quite severe. We didn't talk about uh, his illnesses uh, too in-depth. We didn't talk about uh, some of the uh, overt challenges he faced yet. I'm sure those all come out uh, in his journals, how he trusts the Lord uh, in the midst of that. We'll end with this uh, quote from Wilberforce where he says, Surely the principles of Christianity lead to action as well as meditation. I hope that for all of us that we take action on our faith and we live it out much in the way that Wilberforce himself did. Thank you, listener, for joining with us. For this week in church history, we look forward to seeing you next week.